Greetings. This is William Evans, and you're listening to Shifting Gears. Our guest today is Casey Piscura, founder of Seed Peace and Wild Mountain Seeds. Welcome, Casey. Thanks for having me. How old were you when you first knew you wanted to be a farmer? I got started into 4-H, kind of grew up on the tail of my family, um, of my family, my mom and dad's garden. So probably as soon as we started pondering careers, I kind of thought farming would be a good opportunity. So probably since middle school or so. So you had a sense pretty early of who you were. Yeah, no, um, I think getting kids exposed in agriculture is big, um, can really get one inspired. And for me doing, uh, raising my own plot of vegetables and being involved in 4-H really inspired me right off. Wonderful. And your mother had a garden. Yeah. So mother and father. So they were a team effort. (laughs) Paint me a picture of them and what they were like. Yeah, so um, originally school teachers, and so they moved from West Virginia to Virginia, uh, mainly because they could get an increase in pay, and they were looking to live on a river in a rural place where they could kind of set up a homestead type of environment. And um, yeah, that ended up being the New River Valley near Blacksburg, Virginia, and um, they were always into... um, doing different types of uh, gardening and homesteading projects, carpentry. Uh, My dad was a a tech ed uh, shop teacher. So, so yeah, so we we grew up with our hands in the dirt. All right. And what was it like for you when you went into the family garden? You know, it was like a a place of awe and discovery, I think, Um, a place where curiosity was, uh, you know, uh, received, um, with plenty of awe and inspiration, um, to watch something come from seed to table. It became a place where I would go, you know, look for bugs and live, uh, and be inspired, uh, about, um, humans and our interaction with nature. Was the garden organic? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think at that time, my parents, I think we were mostly doing organic style practices, but without much conscious on whether organic or non-organic was, was best. I think um, we, we came to that consciousness a little later, but we were practicing pretty uh, organic style of growing at the time. And your father imparted to you a sense of stern responsibility when he offered you your own garden plot. Yeah, so um, partly involved within the 4-H program, but partly also uh, I think my parents wanting to allow for complete responsibility. They really gave me a plot in the garden and said, you know, this is yours. You choose what you want to grow in it, um, where typically we would garden all together. And, uh, that really, um, took off. I, I love that. I, um, thrived once I really had full responsibility and, and took impeccable care of that plot. So every, everything pretty much lived and did well. Yeah. For the most part, 
I feel like plants really, they enjoy our care. And my parents had a sense of understanding of gardening. So they set me up for success. And then that sense of uh, caring just, uh, I think, showed in the vegetables. And, and you found you really had a knack for it. Yeah, right off. Um, <laughs> in 4-H, we actually would enter uh, vegetables in the county fair. And so um, I took on trying to really grow high-quality uh, vegetables. Right from the beginning. Yeah, right from the, from the beginning. I mean, that's, I think, the goal is <laughs> when you set out to garden is to really try to be successful. And in 2008, you graduated from Virginia Tech with a degree in crop and soil science. Yeah, correct. And then in 2009, you found a place to live here locally at Charlie Moore's in Satank. Yes. Mm-hmm. How did you get here? Uh, what, what attracted you to this location? So my dad was, and my mom, one of the prerequisites of moving to Virginia was they wanted to live on a body of water. So we grew up on the New River. and N-E-W? Uh, yep, yeah, N-E-W, New River. They're um, kind of uh, in Virginia. And my dad was an avid whitewater kayaker and also a, um, a water skier. And in the winter, we dabbled in winter sports in West Virginia. And um, and twelve year when I was twelve years old, we took our first trip to the Rockies. I was just in awe of the scale in comparison to the Appalachians, and um, we went skiing and had a great time. And and upon graduation, I just kind of was searching for an adventure. I'd spent um, and, and uh, found myself taking my first job out. Uh, out in, in uh, Colorado, of all things, actually building golf courses in Gypsum, where right. I was the uh, assistant superintendent, um, which wasn't really, didn't end up li- aligning with my ethics, but um, allowed me to kind of get off the ground living here and making some money towards what ended up funding my farm. So what what did you observe on the golf course that was being developed up above gypsum up that valley you know it was an old historic ranch um actually i think the history um went back that they raised a lot of work work and draft horses there so it had this weird kind of irony of like an old world that had um, changed and now was being developed into this new uh new golf course and in observing that, you observe how nature interacts with that golf course and just the displacement of wild habitat and things kind of, when you're building it, you really get to see that disruption. And, and that was eye-opening and I quickly, although it is uh, an art and of uh, an agronomic task to make a beautiful golf course, it, it just wasn't aligned with my ethics on how we want to be uh, living with nature. So you could have been a, a golf course superintendent, but you you weren't satisfied there. Yeah, actually, my good friend that I uh, worked at originally there is the superintendent at the 
roaring uh, RVR. <laughs> wow. Still in the valley. But where you lived, you learned John Ray had had a garden at the Sewells. Yeah, so actually, um, K&K's very own Cody Lee um, told me, so when I was down in um, growing uh, here in Carbondale, I had a pretty large garden, and it kind of clicked that I could really do this full-time. So I started to look for a piece of land, and, um, and Cody Lee told me about John Ray's efforts at uh, Jason and Alex Sewell's ranch and that they were actually looking for someone to take over where he had left off. But you were helping Cody with the garden at Charlie's. Yeah, we were um, kind of collaborating there and there were o- other efforts um, too uh, involving um, people getting excited about uh, our ability to grow grow the food supply and grow um, more more food and, and some seed as well. And what happened next? So, so yeah, so next um, we just started off on a small quarter-acre plot at the Sewell Ranch. And I came in with a plan and understood a little bit of what I was doing, but didn't really realize how much cooler it was going to be at the Sewell Ranch where that plot was compared to not as much to Charlie's land, but another plot of land I had across from the high school um the the uh roaring fork high school and so we had a bit of a rude awakening at first (laughs) to uh what it was going to take but um i had saved some money from the golf course uh days and um and thus i had a little buffer to learn and and uh, yeah it was kind of a serendipitous way to really start off on what ended up being a an adventure in cold climate gardening and seed saving you're listening to Katie and Kay in a conversation with Casey Pescura about his um, gardening and his work with seeds. So Jason Sewell had taken a permaculture design course from Jerome, and he he was listening when you were talking to him. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, um, where we are now um, at... Um, you know, at the Sewell Ranch, and we'll talk about that. Wouldn't have happened without Jason's kind of opening the doors with a vision of what he wanted to see with, was, um, I think, you know, the pride that the family had in agriculture on the land and the historic nature of that land and, uh, and wanted to see, give people opportunities to come out and, uh, and, and, and farm out there. And how is that going, the blending of your vision and his vision? Well... This will be our 10th year there. So sounds, sounds good. <laughs> so that's going well. And, and, you know, we've learned a lot since starting out at, on a quarter acre. Um, we're going to be you know, approaching um, four acres by the end of this year in um, organic, minimal tillage, uh, diversified vegetable farming um, with cover crops and, and other um, what I would characterize as regenerative agriculture. Also, we've really shifted a lot of the land management, um, really focusing on soil health, uh, maximizing photosynthesis, seeing what we can do for carbon sequestration. And I think we've seen a big change up there uh, from just how nature and the ranch and humans interact in a positive manner. And 
It's been really great. What's it like for you being on Middle Thompson Creek? It has a, a sense of um, history and uh, profound uh, energy, an energy that is um, intense in a lot of ways with, uh, you know, kind of the convergence of the the end of the Crystal Valley, the end of the Terminal Moraine, that kind of area where you have Thompson Creek and the three creeks coming together. It can be very windy it can be <laughs> have a lot of um just power but at the same time um a sense of uh depth and uh resilience and um bringing about a feeling of purpose and your purpose to uh steward um nature and agriculture and balance it's a really amazing place Well, and you're at the base of a pretty powerful mountain. <laughs> Let's not forget about that. <laughs> so what did you feel when Enzo Nanstasi told you sacred humility keeps things stable? I haven't thought about that in a while. But I think, um, you know, he's talking about, I think, actually talking about sacred humidity. I think he said humility, but what I remember is the word humidity. And um, it's the balance. It's like even in a dry climate, if you have the differences between dry places and wet places that are um, the higher, so you get extreme things um, and challenges. Humidity can hold in uh, warmth during the day when you have the sun out and especially important in the early spring when um, you may only need one or two degrees to uh, keep the crops from freezing. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think when he talks about the sacred humidity, he's talking about um, the carbon in the soil and ultimately the humidity that's growing plants that are um, – causing or uh, providing balance and that balance is what uh, provides for our ability to grow things water is life absolutely and then in 2013 you started wild mountain seeds a 501c3 organization with the mission to accelerate the world's transition to regenerative farming through seed research, hunger relief, education, and innovation. Tell us about that and how it's going. Yeah, so uh, um, so kind of started out originally, Wild Mountain Seeds was just a for-profit seed and uh, vegetable farm. Starting off actually just doing vegetables, although I had had a background in doing some seed. Um, I studied under uh, Bill McDormand of the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. So I took his online course on, um, on uh, seed saving um, and then dove deep into seed saving. Uh, little did I know how important it was going to be. Um, I think, you know, going back to the reality of when I first landed on the land at, at Sewell's there, 
it's a little bit more extreme than your average farm. Um, we've seen that actually moderate with uh, land management, where we're having a little more humidity, and that's buffering some of the extremes and temperatures. So you're uh, holding more, more moisture? Holding more moisture. Um, but what, what I was quickly finding is that a lot of the seeds that were I was buying just um, weren't quite adapted. And with uh, some years of seed saving, they started to understand more about one their relationship with how I grow things, but also with um, the environment being different than where they're from. The local conditions. The local conditions. And so uh, that's um, kept growing, you know, where we've, um, we're selling seeds all over the United States and even um, in uh, other countries and, and have with great feedback of their abilities to um, have incredible vigor to have um, cold tolerance, disease tolerance. So then in, um, uh, gosh, it's now three years ago, almost four years ago, we, we formed the 501c3. Um, and it was mainly because we were already doing quite a bit of education and, um, and research around seeds. And, and we were looking to formalize that and then utilize uh, philanthropic donations to uh, really enhance our ability to do the work better and to make it um, more sustainable and um, and hopefully um, affect more people in the Roaring Fork Valley and beyond. I noticed you used the phrase organic regenerative. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of like words and terms that are coined around agriculture. Um, we actually try to be as labelless as we can because we feel like everyone who's out there trying in agriculture is is out to do good by their land and they may not know the effects of what um you know herbicide or insecticide is doing but you know i think when there's too uh, strong of a, a separation um where you create both good and evil you don't open the door as much for people to uh to change the way they're doing or, or find uh, truth ultimately. So uh, when you look at what's known as regenerative agriculture, it's kind of just the thoughts of we're out farming and we can uh, sequester carbon and we can grow the soil while growing food for people. And, um, and that's kind of the basis of that. And uh, that's usually done in, in uh, an organic way. So um, whilst I think organic uh, although it has great merits, and I do uh, uh, think people should go out and, and buy organic if that, because uh, you're putting your money into a good program that supports people that are making good choices on, on the land. It, it maybe could be a little too exclusive where people are on different stages of getting to where they want to be, where they're sequestering carbon and regenerating, uh, regenerating the land. So, For me as a consumer an eater of your vegetables, I'm reassured that you're organic regenerative. <laughs> Hopefully you can taste it, yeah. Yeah. Tell us more about your seeds. The, where do they come from? And and give us a little more detail about what you're doing to uh, to select them for this, this unique environment. Yeah, so um, 
when I kicked off into growing and really doing it full time, I just got into um, understanding different techniques and, and, and adapting plants to a region and also um, diving into the nature of diversity and just what's out there. When you're looking to find things that um, do well in, in a particular environment, it's oftentimes important to uh, seek out peers that are working in similar climates, but um, also to uh, look into just general diversity of things that are out there and, and allowing that diversity to grow together and, and uh, recombine to make new things. This was accomplished a lot in older times, um, known as land race gardening, or um, basically using a diverse amount of plants, uh, material of a specific species. For example, collecting every onion you could find and then allowing them all to grow together, selecting the best ones, and then allowing those all to cross and make hybrids. Um, which like you and I are all hybrids. We have um, a mother and a father. We're not um, inbred. Um, thus you make um, crosses of these best onions across the world and then select those then for what traits you want to see, storage or ability to grow to a bulb early, to not bolt in a cold climate. And um, we could talk all day about all the strategies involved, but really we're looking at both understanding the crops one where they're from, and then kind of understanding what environment they like, trying to emulate that in somewhat, but also adapting them to our particular environment, which isn't always where they were uh, developed or domesticated. Right. But you've got, you've got a network, it seems, from the little bit I know, of people who are sending you seeds and you're you're working with them for this environment and your skills and uh, then turn them around and send them back out. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm under the belief that seeds should be um, kept in the commons, open source, um, free of patents. And, um, and the best way to create resiliency is to replicate as much of um, the diversity across as many places as possible. So always trying to uh, share our material, both through sales of seed, but um, seed swaps, um, entering material into um, trials, whether that be with um, seed com other bigger seed companies or um, in collaborating with um, USDA efforts or Colorado State efforts. Um, and really, um, you know, seeing what our little environment can contribute. You know, it's kind of similar to um, maybe thinking of why a cyclist might train in Aspen to get up high and, and, and make their body more adept so that they can race at a lower elevation. Similarly, plants may do similar things. So there's a contribution to be made to the whole from growing plants and saving seeds in this area is what we're finding out. Do you know the feeling of when the rhythm of your heart resonates with the rhythm of the earth and the sky? I, th I think we all have this um, in us. You know, I think um, sometimes, especially in farming, there's so many different ways you can go. 
So to sit still, not as much thinking, but allowing um, the the plants to kind of guide you more um, and then learning from them. You know, it's all, um, we're all ultimately uh, relying on the sun and photosynthesis and water and they all have a vibration that you know you feel good when you go into the garden it kind of like and you provide it we say on the farm the best fertilizer is a farmer's footsteps hmm. and that's and that, lovely and it makes you kind of it both enlivens you and then the plants are you know they they rely on your efforts and then um, that's reciprocated and you relying on their efforts. And so you, you understand just being in the garden and extending the right to be to the plants and, and vegetables and uh, out of that something special arises and benefits both of you. Yeah, and the more we honor the history, I think a lot of people don't realize that like the efforts made um, in domesticating these plants over thousands of years. So the more you honor them and their history, I feel like the more they start to honor you and your um, um, efforts and, and it becomes a symbiotic process, you know? And I think as we grow and what we want to do here in the, in the valley within training is getting people more enlivened, but that doesn't just mean people working in gardens it also has to mean people working in gardens providing services and being able to learn to earn a living wage so they can continue to do it for others thank you casey you've been listening to shifting gears in a conversation with casey Pascura. this is kdnk thank you for listening